Amen. Let's take our Bibles. Please turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. It's awful quiet in here tonight. Luke chapter 10. We'll look at a familiar passage of scripture of the Good Samaritan, at least what we have come to call the Good Samaritan. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ poses the question, who is the neighbor? Who's the one that would be the neighbor in this story? And of course, the conclusion is this Samaritan man who otherwise likely would have been expected that he would have passed this weary traveler by. But instead, in compassion, he turned to the man and gave him his aid. And so let's look Luke tonight, Luke chapter 10. We'll begin reading verse 25. Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. I think there's something key that we find right there in verse 27. This ruler, this leader, this, this lawyer stood up and he questions the Lord Jesus Christ, What should I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord throws the law back at him. What is written there? And of course, you say, well, hold on, we can't keep the law. Jesus knew that. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. He came to die on a cross and pay the price for our sins because he knew that the law was broken daily by man. He understood that. And so he came to be the sacrifice or the penalty for the law. And Jesus understood that. But understand this, and this is going to sound strange, we are still in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ has not died yet. The New Testament has not been sealed by his blood And so he is speaking to a lawyer of the law of God, and he is trying to explain to him, what does the law say? And he's introducing a better way, and he's going to introduce a better way. He's going to tell him about salvation by faith through grace and all those things. But for now, he's talking to this lawyer, and the lawyer says, well, I need to love God. I need to love him with all my heart, my soul, and my mind. Well, everybody kind of knows that. If you were growing up in a Jewish home, you were taught to love God supremely. Now, they were zealous of the law, and they loved God through the law, through the the lenses of the law, if you will. And so as they were reading the Word of God and they were reading the Bible, they said, well, it's best if I love God by stoning those that sin. That's how they exercised their love, which really isn't love at all. There was no grace in their love. They were all about the law. But the Lord Jesus Christ directs him to this. And he says, well, I'm going to love God. I've got to love him with all my heart, my soul, and my mind. And I need to love my neighbor as myself. And that's pretty telling. The Lord Jesus Christ uses this opportunity to teach about what is your neighbor, who is your neighbor. And notice what he says in the next verse, in verse 28. And he said unto him, thou hast answered right This do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. By chance there came down a certain priest that was that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. 
Likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And went to him and bound up his wounds, uh, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Let's pray. Father, help us. Lord, we need your presence tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the music that has reminded us of your promises and your faithfulness and that we can trust you. And I pray, Lord, that you would just continue to work in our hearts now as we turn to the word of God. May the spirit of God sweep across our room here tonight and and move among us. Lord, we need revival desperately. Lord, not just in our church, but in our nation. And I pray, Lord, that you would let it start right here at Bethel Baptist Church. Lord, we understand that All the forces of the world are against it. But we know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I pray, Lord, that you would ignite that spirit within us, Lord, that you would fill us tonight. And Lord, I I need your filling. And I pray that as I surrender to you, that you would speak and move upon our hearts, Lord. Help us, we pray. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ tells a story to describe who is the neighbor. This lawyer asks the question, but who is my neighbor? I I don't know what the motive behind his question is, if it was some sort of trap to trick Jesus or to get him caught up in something. But the Lord wasn't afraid of that, and he had his answer ready. I believe this was a tailor-made situation by the will of God. I don't believe there was an accident. I don't believe that Jesus was unprepared for his question for even one minute, for he answered him immediately and told the story of this man that fell among thieves. It is assumed from the scripture, though it is never expressly said, that this man was a Jewish man. The Bible says he was traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem, both Jewish settlements, not part of Samaria, when he was taken over by thieves and left there to die at the side of the road. So we believe that he was likely a Jewish man, and the audience that the Lord Jesus Christ was addressing were laws of the Jew, or lawyers of the Jewish faith, and therefore likely relating to him this story of this Jewish man that has fallen among thieves. Now, it would be customary for us to look at the Samaritan. That's normally where we draw our attention to, and I'll get there when we get to our conclusion tonight, but I want to look at the other characters, if I could, for a few moments tonight. I want you to think, first of all, about that Pharisee, that priest, or sorry, the priest that the Bible talks about. The Bible says that as he fell into the midst of these thieves in verse 31, and by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. I think it's telling that the scripture that has been inspired by God for our reading tonight, the Holy Spirit of God has spoken through the, uh, the, the author Luke that he never mentions. He pauses. He looks down upon him. He never even glances his way. Just simply passes by on the other side. 
You and I have been driving along the highway and we've seen something lying in the road before, have you not? And you just take a wide berth and you just move over to the side and so casually you can be talking to somebody else in the car, you can be singing a song with a CD that's playing and you don't even think about it, you just slide over and you slide back into your lane and you just keep on moving and maybe a a roadkill or something laying there and this priest treated that man in the very same way like he was roadkill. Just swerve to one side of the road, pass on by and swerve on back not paying him any attention at all. I suppose at one time this priest had a heart of compassion. He was a Levite, raised in the tribe of Levi and given all the best teaching about God and his love for man. I'm sure that as one of the Levites, he might have even aspired to being a priest. It might have been something he looked for uh, in his life. You see, all the tribe of Levite were set aside as the priestly tribe, but not all of them were called to perform the duties or the rituals of the priesthood. Perhaps once in their lifetime, they would receive the call and they would go and serve for a year, but not everybody. Others would train and never make it there. And we'll see that in a moment. But this priest was one of the ones that were called. One of the ones that were chosen. I'm sure that after all of his training, he was excited to be able to serve the people and to show God's love to the people and offer sacrifices on behalf of the people and minister to God's people. And that was something that he aspired to. But something had happened in his heart that caused him to lose his burden for people. Something had changed him. Maybe it was years and years of the same thing over and over, mundane service. Maybe the service of God had become commonplace to him. Maybe something had caused him to become bitter. Maybe the Roman Empire that was ruling in that place. But whatever it was, he had lost his burden. He decided to step aside and go around a man that needed his help desperately For years he had been piously adding degrees to his name and he perhaps he asked himself, with all the problems in the world, what difference can one man make? So his teachers advised him, just dedicate yourself to the study of the word and be no earthly good for anyone. We see that in a lot of religious settings today. People cloister themselves and hide themselves away and not having an impact for Christ. You know, perhaps at one time, you too gave your life to serve. Maybe not in a full-time capacity like this priest, but you surrendered to do more for God. But now your burden has waned. Maybe God has been calling and the world just tells you that you can't make a difference. Maybe you're one of the ones that used to go teach and used to go soul winning and used to tell others about Jesus and used to hand out gospel tracts and used to be the one that would sit in the pew and sing at the top of your lungs and tears would roll down your face when we sing songs like great is our faithfulness and our great savior but that burden has leached away over time maybe you're like the priest tonight but then we see there's another character in the very next verse called a levite Likewise, a Levite, verse 32, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. 
Well, the Bible says he looked on him. The, verse 31, the priest just saw him. But at least the Levite took a moment to look. To see and to look are two different things, you understand. To see something in the difference in the distance is one thing. I, I was talking about a, a dead animal on the road earlier. What a horrible illustration about God's love tonight. But you see that thing on the road and, and I see it and I'm the guy that turns my face away. You ask my wife, I, I can't watch all that, that blood and horror. I just, it turns my stomach. I don't like it. But the Levite, he's the one that turns and looks. He's the one that at least looked down upon him and saw his condition and realized that this man was in desperate need. And perhaps this Levite, somewhat like the priest, had aspirations to be a priest one day. But that time had passed by. The Bible doesn't say that he was a priest, that he'd been called upon to serve in the temple. That title would have stayed with him for life, but he was not referred to in that way. He was a Levite. He was a servant. He was one that was set aside for a purpose, but never fulfilled his purpose. It was one that God had put his stamp upon, and yet he sat on the shelf he too would have received good training from his godly parents and the best Bible teachers. He had memorized the Pentateuch by the time he was 13 years old. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We have a hard time even reading those books sometimes with all the genealogies and all the laws. This young man would have memorized it. And yet here he was looking upon a man in desperate need Something had happened in his heart. Perhaps it was a bad experience at the house of God. Perhaps he was one that had come to an altar and said, God, I want to do whatever I can to be a service to you. I want to help people. I want to love people. And yet nobody took him seriously. Nobody gave him an opportunity. Perhaps a message in the church made him angry. Perhaps in his synagogue, the local rabbi taught something one Sunday that, that just kind of irked him a little bit. Stepped on his toes and he felt like the rabbi was preaching right at him. Perhaps it was some other people that attended that same synagogue that offended him. The Bible doesn't tell us what had happened. I'm just speaking as experience of as, a, as a pastor. It's amazing how easy we can get off the right path. A lot of us have the right training. Some of us have been brought up in the right homes. We've been coming to a church for a lot of years, and we hear the Word of God taught and preached in different settings throughout our congregation. And yet sometimes it's the silliest little thing that causes us to be offended. This, this is going to sound prideful, and it is prideful, I'm sure. But I remember years ago saying to somebody, I, I, can't, I can't admit that I'm offended or I'm admitting I'm the weaker brother. I don't want to do that. Because the Bible says we're not to offend the weaker brother. And when I say I'm offended, I'm saying I am the weaker brother. And that's not what the Bible calls me to be. I, I am weak in the sight of the Lord Jesus Christ. But by faith, I'm to have strength in Christ. I'm to put on the whole armor of God. I'm, I'm to, not to walk around in defeat. 
But something had offended this Levite and somehow his heart got hard and he lost his burden. But I want to talk about somebody else that we don't see in the scripture. And I caution about this because I don't like to preach what's not in the Bible, but I want to believe with all my heart tonight, and I don't think it's a stretch, to say that this man had other friends and family. How many of you would agree with that? He had to have somebody. He was traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem, perhaps to visit somebody, perhaps in business, but he had other people in his life. So I want to talk about his friends for a moment. And I wonder, first of all, about the friend who failed to warn him of the danger. You know, sometimes we have friends that will warn us after the fact. You ever ever had that? My wife loves doing that to me. Hey, she said, hey, it's true. Listen, you'll, you'll agree with me in a moment. I can trip and fall over and she'll say, watch out for that thing. I'm already on the ground. Am I telling the truth? Yes. Yeah, see? And I say, help meet. Some help meet, amen? But where was the friend that failed to warn him of the danger? You're going where? From Jericho to Jerusalem? Do you understand that in those days it was a well-known fact that there was thieves and robbers? That you traveled in caravans? You didn't travel a road like that by yourself. You had to be careful. You had to make sure that you were protected. And where was the friend who said, don't go. Make sure that you're protected. Wait until a bunch of us can go with you. Go in a caravan. There's other businessmen. There's other people making that trip. Why don't you go with them? Where was the one that failed to warn him of the danger? Perhaps he was afraid of an uncomfortable conversation. Perhaps he was afraid that he didn't care enough to warn him. Perhaps he was afraid he wasn't informed enough to warn him. But he could at least yell danger. Perhaps he was afraid of losing his friend. But in his fear, he nearly lost him anyway. The Bible talks in Ezekiel of a watchman. It says upon a tower. And if the watchman doesn't yell danger, he'll be guilty of the judgment. And he'll stand accountable to the king. We are to give a warning. I wonder how many of our friends are on the broad road that leads to destruction. And how many opportunities we've missed because we're afraid. Because we don't want an uncomfortable conversation. Because we're afraid to give that warning. Maybe we feel like, oh, I don't know the gospel well enough and I'm just not informed enough. And if I, if I don't have all the answers from scripture, how can I help them? And perhaps we're afraid of losing that friend. But friend, let me tell you this. You will lose them to a Christless eternity if you don't. Where was the friend who should have told him and warned him? But I wonder also about another friend. I wonder about the friend who failed to go with him. Who was the friend that said, I'll go with you. 
I'll take some time and I'll make this trip with you. I'll make sure that you're protected, that you have somebody alongside of you. And maybe two isn't, isn't that big a number, but it's sure better than one. And I'm willing to give my life to be a help to you. You know, the Bible says there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And a friend that will never leave us nor forsake us. Jesus is saying, who is the neighbor? I think Jesus could have asked another question and it been almost the same. Where is the neighbor? Where is he? Why didn't he go with him? Why didn't he come alongside this fellow and help him out? Why didn't he give of his time and his life? I wonder how many times we have said, well, I, one of these days I've got to tell my friend... One of these times, I've got to invite them to church. Can I, can I share something with you? Just a testimony very quickly. Do you know that in the day we are living in right now, people are dying to be invited to church. I, I've learned that over this Christmas season. It's incredible. We had a family come on our Christmas cantata. Listen, now listen. They were invited by folks in our church. I'm not going to embarrass anybody, so I won't say names. They live up near Elmira. And on Sunday morning, December 19th, drove all the way from Elmira, a little village out there, not right in Elmira, outside of Elmira, drove all the way from Elmira, an hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes, to be here for the Sunday morning service. After the service, they didn't want to leave. They were talking in the hallways. They were visiting with people. They said, our church hasn't opened in a year and a half. And man, this was wonderful. We wish we lived closer. Now listen, that week, a donation popped up on the website. They said, we're going to send a donation in. We, want it. we didn't bring anything. We want, to, we want to give a gift to the church to thank them. They sent a donation in $4,000. People want to be in church. People are thankful for church. And we're so afraid to invite people to come. Unsaved people will come to a katata and go, isn't that wonderful? Our, our church people go, I've heard this for 42 years. But unsaved people say, I love the music and I like the choir. And oh man, it's wonderful. Don't be afraid. One day, the Bible says that the books will be opened. And if, if I understand the scripture correctly, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Have you ever heard there's no tears in heaven? That's not true. God can't wipe them away if they ain't there. I think right now there's, there's saints in heaven weeping over us, praying. But one day, the Bible says the books will be open. In Revelation chapter 20, right down at the end, whosoever, uh, whosoever was not found written in the Lamb's book of life shall be cast into the lake of fire. And in the very next chapter, Revelation chapter 21, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Why? Because we just witnessed millions upon millions cast into the lake of fire. And when God wipes away our tears, he must have to wipe away our memories as well of that horrible, horrible judgment that just took place. That's the context there. One day, when those books were open, we will stand there and we'll see all the ones we should have told. And I wonder if they'll look at us and say, why didn't you tell me? 
You were afraid? You knew that I was on this path? And you were afraid? You coward. You were afraid of losing a friend? You were afraid of offending somebody? Now I'm going to the lake of fire. The Lord Jesus Christ practiced this in his life as he didn't just tell people. He went and sat down in the house of publicans and sinners. He dined with them. He walked with them. He was accused of all kinds of things because of them. But he said, I've I've come to save the lost. I've come to seek sinners. The righteous have no need of a savior. I've come to reach them. And that's who I'm going to hang out with. That's who I'm going to walk along with. Where was the friend that should have went along with him? I want to say tonight, I'm going to give you three scriptures. And we'll be done. You might say, I'm like one of those. I've lost my burden. I've lost my heart for the lost. I've lost my compassion. What do I do? Let me say this. It is not a compassion problem. It is a faith problem. I want to prove that to you from Scripture tonight. It's not a compassion problem. Everything starts with faith. You see, when when we trust God and we believe God and we draw closer to God by faith and we are behaving in faith and acting in faith and living out our faith, all these other things begin to come into place. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Or sorry, 2 Peter uh, let's, let's do this first. 2 Peter chapter 1, then we'll go to 1 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong... I'm in 1 Peter. I got myself all confused. First Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. So where does it start? Faith. You can't add to something you don't have. You understand? That's just simple math, right? You can't add to something you don't have, first of all. So add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness what? Brotherly. Isn't that the question we're trying to answer tonight? Who is your brother? Brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness Charity. What is charity? It is love. A lack of compassion is not a compassion problem. It's a faith problem. We have to start there. And and you say, well, what do you mean? You have to grow. Add. Somewhere along the line, you've you've, you've added to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. And, And here's what the problem is. A lot of us have a ton of knowledge about the Bible. But we're not adding to it anymore. We're not living it out any longer. At one point, we may have had some charity and we may have had some brotherly kindness, but somehow we've gone backwards. We haven't lost our faith, but we're just stalled at knowledge and we just, we were puffed up in our knowledge. Oh, we know the Bible from front to back. But do you live it out? Do you have a heart of compassion? Turn to 1 Peter now, chapter 3, just back a few pages. 1 Peter chapter 3. 
Notice what it says, verse 8. The Lord Jesus, or Peter here is speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit to believers. Finally be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that you're thereto called that you should inherit a blessing. So we add to our faith virtue and virtue knowledge and on and on it goes to brotherly kindness and, and charity. But he says, now here, how do we apply that? We apply compassion, listen, one to another, one to another. We're to be compassionate in the church. The moment we gossip about another, we're not compassionate. We have to be very careful because that's your brother. And it says right there, your brother, your brother, your brother. Be compassionate. Love one another. Help one another. Encourage one another. Strengthen one another. Listen, there, there's a devil that's sitting somewhere tonight and he is just giggling and laughing and chuckling every time we fight amongst ourselves. Have compassion. Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. But then look at this. We're to have compassion for the lost, too. Turn to the book of Jude. The book of Jude. Look at verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. There it is again. It starts with faith. And you're to build up on it. You're to grow. Praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion. Make, making a difference. Is that talking about church people? Look at what it says. Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Say, who do we have compassion for? Our brothers and sisters in Christ and for the lost. Everybody. Everybody. But it starts with our faith. Is your faith growing? You know, I, I suspect that if we can go back for a moment to that Pharisee, I think his faith grew a whole lot at one time. If you had a question, or to that, sorry, the priest, I keep saying Pharisee, to the priest. If you had a question about the Bible, who are you going to go to? You're going to go to the priest. If you had a, a burden upon your heart, where was it that Hannah prayed for a child? She prayed in the temple in the presence of the priest. When the priest showed concern, when Eli said, what is it? And Are you a drunk woman? And she says, no, I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. She poured out her heart to the priest and the priest said, be it unto thee according to God's will. And God gave her a child. It was a priest that would pray for people and love people and encourage people. He had grown phenomenally at one time. But now he was cut all the way back, probably just to knowledge. The Levite, too, had grown somewhat. Oh, he hadn't got to the point of being a priest yet, or perhaps never would. But he lost his burden. Let me say this. Sometimes we get involved in something that we ought not get involved in simply because we like the prestige we like the attention. We like the position rather than we like serving people. 
and reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. At some point, we've lost that vision that I'm doing this for God and I'm doing this to reach the lost. And we've made it about ourselves. And that's selfish. The priest was all about himself. The Levite was all about himself. The friend who failed to warn and the friend who failed to protect him, they were all about themselves. And they would say that they loved him, but their actions denied it. We say we love our neighbor, we love our family, we loved our friends. What are we doing about it? Would to God we'd be like the Samaritan. Willing to give of ourselves and our resources to reach one more. To show compassion. To pull him with fear out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Every one of us tonight, I'm sure, can think of somebody that we say we love. Let me ask you, do they know the Lord? And what are you doing about it? Sometimes we use language that I think betrays really what we are trying to accomplish. And somebody might get saved and we say, well, we led this person to the Lord. Yes, you did. But somebody else might have led a thousand people to the Lord that never got saved. Because you don't save anybody, you understand, right? You just lead them there. And then the Lord does the saving. We ought to be leading people to the Lord as much as we can. Whether they get saved or not, that's up to God. We're just to clearly present the gospel, share the word of God, sow the seed in their hearts, and let God give the increase. Who do we love? Let me ask you this. Let's just flip the table over real quick. We're done. Are you a neighbor? Are you a neighbor? Or are you a priest? Are you a Levite? Are you a friend who doesn't care? The Samaritan was the neighbor. Let's pray. Father, help us, Lord, tonight. Refresh and renew our burden for the lost. Help us to love one another as children of God fervently. Lord, help us to have compassion. Lord, it's just not the lost that need compassion. There's a lot of young people in our church that have made mistakes And sometimes they get browbeaten rather than loved. Lord, help us, Lord, to be a church of compassion and a church of restoration, a church that will help them, adults alike. Lord, help us have a burden for people, a love for people, compassion for people, and it all starts with our faith, allowing it to grow. Speak to our hearts now, we pray, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand tonight. The altar's open if God spoke to your heart. Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above.